Welcome to Successful Parenting, where we, Jackie Rue and Robin Choquette, share practical skills for families to build resilience and healthy connections. As practicing professionals and parents ourselves, we hope this podcast is a resource for parents to grow, reflect, and learn more about themselves and their children. Our approach is simple, tangible, and most importantly, we lead with compassion for the integrity of the families we serve. This podcast should not be taken as medical advice and is intended for informational purposes only. We love our work and we can't wait to watch families gain confidence and open themselves up to new ways of successful parenting. Good afternoon, Robin. Hello, Jackie. How are things on your end? You know, it's so fun as the school year is starting. I'm already starting to see the school buses and I'm already starting to see the backpacks and, you know, lots of kids buying school supplies. So it's a fun time of year. And I like all the conversations I've been having with families just about really helping their children get back into the swing of things. It always seems like summer comes pretty quickly. And I love really diving into conversations about really how to help support our children and and really help them transition into the school year. Right. And I think that's so important is setting them up and getting kind of prepared. I mean, transitions are always difficult for anyone, but that anxious child, the child that kind of struggles maybe with some things in terms of socially or kind of struggles with depression I think that can be difficult. And I agree, I think really setting their children up to be successful and helping them in that transition is so important. Well, I know this season, we have a lot of guest experts coming on and talking to us about just different aspects of child development and ways we can really help with interventions as well as partnering with our schools. And I know we also covered that a little bit in season one. And so I am really looking forward to our guest expert today. And she brings a wealth of knowledge. Her name is Angela Bonville, and she has been in many different uh, roles from police officer to clinical social worker to uh, hospital social worker and police social worker. She's also a parent herself. And she is an expert in the topic that she's going to talk about today. And that really has to do with supporting children with ADHD and attention issues, as well as those children that may not formally meet that diagnosis, but also really struggle with executive functioning. She's going to share some firsthand expertise because as she is going to talk about, has a child that has executive functioning issues as well as ADHD. And so I'm just so excited to have her on today and really learn from her because so many families have reached out to us this summer, really asking us to help them have more resources on this topic. Yes. And I think it is interesting when you have someone like Angela, where it's this layering of education, understanding, knowledge, and experience, you get an individual that's very rich in terms of being able to support others because they see it from different perspectives. So I agree. I think this will be a great conversation today. Welcome, Angela. Thank you. Good morning. Gosh, you've been in this field. You know, when I say 25 years, I kind of laugh because it's like, wow, you know, like it's been a long time. And being a parent yourself, can you tell us a little bit about your background and how has that helped you just with your own parenting of your children? Absolutely. As you said, I am a retired police officer. I worked 25 years on the street and Quite early into that, I went back and got my master in social work and worked slowly with you in the 
inpatient setting mental health hospital to get my license in clinical social work. So I actually took a break from that when I became a parent uh, 13 years ago. And I currently have a 13-year-old daughter and an 11-year-old son. And I don't want to leave out. I do have two older stepchildren, 25 and 22. So I've, I've got uh, quite a bit of parenting experience behind me in addition to working in this field. Yes. Wow. That sounds exciting to have that age. So uh, just interesting, you were in law enforcement and then what brought you into social work? Was there anything in particular or was that something you just always wanted to do? I was just curious, you know, that bridge going from one to the other. Absolutely. I don't know that there was much of a bridge. If you look in the news today, a lot of law enforcement, they are partnering with social workers mm-hmm. because the call to duty nowadays, and and certainly it was back when I began in the 90s, was to help people and to help them find solutions to their problems. We were crisis management. And I saw the similarities and decided early on to go into social work just so that I had a better background to help people in those crisis situations, like going to family, fighting, domestics, um, going to mental health calls. That really was a good volume of, of the calls that I went to in law enforcement. Oh, wow. Yeah. No, that makes a lot of sense. And I'm sure having someone like you that had that forefront and understanding, I'm sure you were great at your job in both capacities. Well, let's dive right into ADHD. You know, when I'm talking to families and I throw this out, it's always interesting. Well, my child's not hyper, right? And so we kind of then say, okay, well, let's talk about ADHD and and what it's about and, and the different types. Can you explain to our listeners the different types of ADHD? Absolutely. Um, This has changed over the years, just so that everyone is aware. So that if you have children of different ages, or if you looked into this 10 years ago, the criteria have changed along with the evidence-based treatment and the science that we have to work with. But currently, it is titled as Attention Deficit Hyperactivity Disorder, so ADHD, formerly ADD for for part of this. And there are three subtypes currently. Um, One of them is more inattention-based. One of them is hyperactivity and impulsivity-based. And then there is a third type, which they call combined type which can show symptoms of both the inattention and the hyperactivity. So those are the three main categories of ADHD. And what the DSM-5 says, that is our diagnostic manual to be able to diagnose individuals, is that individuals have to have six or more symptoms within any six-month time frame in order to meet that criteria In addition, they also have to have some impairment across more than one setting. So for younger kids, this might be home and school setting or home and social setting. And then for adults, this can be a little more broad. Um, I know we're focusing on kids here. You know, for adults, that might look like job, financial, family, social settings. It, It can span a couple of different places. Sometimes it can even be hard to differentiate between ADHD and trauma and anxiety. But I do think it's becoming more talked about in doctors where previously they weren't recognizing ADHD as quickly. I feel like it's getting recognized a lot more quickly. Would you agree? I would agree 100%. And I think a lot of that has to do with the science. I will tell you that just based currently on the shortage of the medications that are commonly used for ADHD, the stimulants, 
almost all of those stimulants are in short supply right now. It's an indicator that ADHD is being recognized more commonly and it is being treated medically um, on a more frequent basis than it was in the past. Yes, definitely. When did you first learn that your child had ADHD? Well, funny enough, I have four that are all diagnosed. Um, <laughs> the, the two older were diagnosed in, Nick was diagnosed in middle school and Megan waited until high school to get her diagnosis. And then my two younger kids at home right now, um, Miranda is 13 and was diagnosed this year. And I'm going to call my target child, Brian, who has ADHD and also has ODD, which is oppositional defiant disorder. He's the one that really caused me to look more into this and become professional in ADHD. So he was diagnosed in second grade. Wow. So that's, so you must've been really in tune to what was going on with him. By the end. Yes. We recognized it quite young and I want to say pre preschool, um, we recognized the symptoms and knew that it looked different. Um, our other three children were the inattentive type and, and continue to be the inattentive type of ADHD. And that looks very different than the impulsivity, hyperactivity uh, type of ADHD. So that was interesting to me. I, I, I did have to relearn um, what I thought I knew about this neurodevelopmental disorder. Do you find yourself parenting your child differently or did you once you realized kind of the diagnosis? Absolutely. But I had to learn that. There wasn't much out there. The way we diagnosed our children was with psychological testing as well as working with their pediatricians. That's how we went about it. And there wasn't a lot of information on what parents should do differently other than specifically for Brian medication. The other three, they suggested medication. They suggested some other options uh, like supplements. And I think we'll talk a little bit more about that. But with Brian specifically, I had to change my parenting style completely and had to unlearn all of the things that I had learned as a, a young person because I am 50 right now. So I was brought up in a very different generation. And the things that worked for me as a child did not work for him. Um, saying no to him caused him to explode. Asking him why he did something caused another type of explosion. And I had to really start looking into the literature and looking into what was available to me as far as what we call parent training, which is one of the now, one of the things that they suggest to do parents of children with ADHD. It's, it's more effective than even sending children into the clinical setting at this point. Yeah. Well, and I'm thinking that they're going to have to update how they assess like the inattentive type, right? I think it can be a little bit more challenging. It can be. And certainly there's a lot of information. Um, one of the resources that I use frequently is Attitude Magazine, and it is an online wealth of information. But what they are doing is really starting to touch on how this disorder looks different in girls than it does in boys. I will say because predominantly the girls are being diagnosed with inattentive type, but it, it does look different. It looks like daydreaming. It looks like, for example, with my daughter who's 13, it was constantly hearing from the teachers. She is not able to organize her desk. Her locker looks like a tornado struck it. She leaves things around. She can't find things quickly. She had difficulty, especially this year, as she has gone through puberty and some of the hormones have 
significantly impacted her symptoms, which is why we waited until a later time to diagnose her. She really is having difficulty managing school this year and turning in assignments on time without assistance. So that looks very different than the the hyperactivity or um, impulsivity piece, which is a lot more explosive and emotional dysregulation and having difficulty um, shutting down. You know, for my age group, the Energizer Bunny is a (laughs) really good example of what that might look like. And it's a, a child who talks a lot a child who's constantly on the move, even when they're sitting down and um, watching TV or playing video games, they are constantly fidgeting, moving in their seat. You might find them sitting upside down in their seat or or rolling around on the floor. You know, that's a very different presentation in school than the individual who's daydreaming and looks like she's, she's not following directions. Right. They present in such a different way. And I think that's really hard for parents. So those are the things to kind of look out for. Are there any other signs that would be helpful for parents to think about? Um, Absolutely. Some of the things that I noticed, and once again, I have had this on the radar compared to maybe some other parents who might not know as much about ADHD. But if you have a family history of this, it is a genetic disorder. So you can absolutely assume that if one parent or both parents have this, that one of your children likely will struggle with one of these subtypes of ADHD. Um, So that is one thing to look for. I will say that the rigid thinking, the I call it rejection sensitivity, having difficulty with kids who have trouble in social settings. They may get along better with kids younger than them because this brain disorder actually reduces the maturity um, specifically of the prefrontal cortex, but a few other parts of the brain. So they literally are lagging behind two to three years. And all of my kids got along much better with kids two to three grade ages below them. I would say some immaturity because of that. Um, I would say poor sleep can be an indicator. Um, In this ADHD world, a lot of individuals struggle with sleep. So that is something to look for. Emotional dysregulation. So once again, that being like having a much bigger response or a much smaller response than what you would anticipate in other peers their age. That was a big indicator. And certainly if you start getting calls from school, and likely this can happen if your child is in daycare, all the way up because there are children that are starting to show symptoms at age two, three, and four. And I know that was very difficult as a parent to comprehend that. Mm -hmm. But in the end, because we were aware pretty early on that Brian specifically had those symptoms that early, we kept that on our radar and we were able to, you know, kind of advocate for him in those settings and actually discuss with daycare and schools what would be helpful to him because he was not medicated at that time. So you said you started through your pediatrician. Is that a good way to start the process and getting your child assessed? And when do you make that decision? Okay, we think we need to go talk to someone about it. And who do you go find? Absolutely. I think this is super important because I think there are a lot of pediatricians out there. And I think there are a lot of clinicians out there who aren't 
educated on ADHD, especially because it is such an emerging field. And literally every year we're coming up with some great data that kind of changes how we view this. So pediatrician is a great place to start, but just like any other individual that you would have work with your children, you should ask them, what is their training and experience? And if they have a good amount of training and experience, then that's a great place to start this process. I would say years ago, they wanted a lot more of the neuropsych testing. That is another way to go about it. And it does catch more because oftentimes ADHD has comorbidities with it, which could include anxiety, depression, learning disabilities. There are a lot of times sensory issues. So neuropsych testing will catch all of that, but it is absolutely not required to get a diagnosis of ADHD. You can go to your primary care physician. You can go to a clinician, you can go to a psychiatrist or a psychologist, and anyone who is trained in this field will do a very detailed questionnaire. Um, There are many different types of the same questionnaire out there, but it, it is a two to 300 question survey so that they can see at home what is occurring. And they will also, if the child is in a school setting or a daycare setting, they will request having that same information, although maybe not quite as detailed, from a second setting. Because as I said earlier, in order to be diagnosed with this disorder, you do have to show impairment across two settings. So I have worked with individuals who have had a doctor who has gone based on what the patient has said and hasn't gone into that second setting. And I'm going to suggest that would be a red flag that you might want to find someone who is a little more knowledgeable in this field. Well, that's an excellent point because, and this is, I don't want to get too much into this, but I've had parents tell me that teachers have said, your child's very difficult, they need to be on medicine, and comments like that really aren't appropriate, right, coming from just a teacher. And I I think sometimes hyperactivity can be challenging in a classroom, but some would also argue classrooms aren't always designed for all children either. Correct. For parents to know that they have the right to treat their child the way they feel best. Absolutely. I will say that they can be a great partner for parents Mm -hmm. and they're really helpful. I'll use my experience as feedback with my daughter We did not pursue this until sixth and seventh grade when she hit puberty, and we started to see very significant changes in that setting. We were able to manage a lot of her symptoms at home because we have the knowledge and and we worked, you know, my husband and I have both worked on parent training and executive functioning strategies to help her succeed here at school or at home. But now she's showing some impairment at school, so we had to take those next steps. My son same thing. When he was in second grade, we worked with kindergarten, preschool, and first grade teachers to help mitigate um, some of the symptoms that were showing up in class. And in second grade, his impulsivity got out of control. And he really required more help than one teacher in a 25 student classroom. So that's the point at which we went in to get that next step. But I will say, you know, teachers giving parents feedback is great, but teachers suggesting what parents should choose to do is not appropriate. Yeah, that's a great point. I like how you said that because so often teachers are awesome teammates. And when you work together to kind of assess, okay, what's going on? And we all get frustrated with with our children. It goes back to, you know, the child's not necessarily giving us a hard time. Maybe they're having a hard time. How do we really kind of help and kind of team together? 
Absolutely. And I, I love that statement. Um, Dr. Ross Green, who is an expert in this field and specifically helps for the the uh, hyperactivity impulsivity type, he, he indicated, you know, kids don't give us a hard time. They're having a hard time. They're doing the best they can. Yeah. And for us to recognize that, and that really has helped me, that very quote is something I repeat to myself on a regular basis, because yeah. that helps me reduce my parent frustration <laughs> at some of the behaviors that come along with that particular um, display of the disorder. Right. It shifts that mindset. Absolutely. And that's something I've shared with the teachers I've worked with too. I will say that, you know, I've parented very well and partnered very well with the teachers that I have had. I've been extremely lucky to have some fabulous partners across public school and private school. It does look different, but certainly every single time my kids go to a different teacher. I work with them on communicating what has gone on in the past, what is going on currently. I do share their diagnosis of ADHD. For my son, I share the diagnosis of oppositional defiant disorder. I think that's important for the teacher to know. There is a risk that it will cause some bias on the teacher's part. However, I am a firm believer in advocating for your child and educating the teacher and not all of them are aware of ADHD in the presentations and some of the really easy ways to help mitigate symptoms in the classroom. Well, and it sounds like that's really helped you to be able to support your child. Anything else been helpful for you just to be able to really be that champion for your child? Absolutely. I have done a ton of research. I have looked into dozens of books. I've looked into online resources. I've done my own training and I'm very close to being certified as an ADHD clinical services provider. So I've done that piece but working with others, whether it's in the clinical setting that they are the identified patient or their children are, or working in the school setting, I do a ton of education and asking them to do their own. I will give them resources. And it's important, it's imperative that individuals understand this disorder. I think what's happened over time is we hear ADHD, we have a picture of what that might be or look like. Mm -hmm. You know, the more and more I've worked with individuals, you know, one thing I do with my client uh, interactions now, it is mostly first responders. There is a large number of them that have undiagnosed ADHD. And it makes sense. They never wanted to do the same thing. They wanted to have that adrenaline rush. They wanted to work outside of an office setting. You know, a lot of the adult presentation of these symptoms actually fits well with first responders. So I educate them and I say, you know, when you were a child, because right now, unfortunately, our DSM-5 has some challenges with diagnosing adults. And I will say, you know, as a child, did you have this come up? Did you um, get put on medication? And I will let them educate themselves on this. And then they'll come back to me and we'll, we'll do some question and answer and kind of come up with a, a plan of treatment on what's going to work most effectively for them. We'll definitely put some resources in our description of the podcast. I know you've got quite a bit. Are there any resources that you can just think off the top of your head you would share? Yes, I will say the, the resources I use are ones that are vetted by experts in this field. So that is something that I find to be incredibly important. Attitude Magazine is a great one. Once again, this is for all learners. So there are some articles, there are some videos, there are some podcasts. So however you learn best, they've got some great information on there. And it is for anything from symptoms and diagnosis all the way up to treatment options, including medical 
and non-medicated treatment options. Although I will let individuals know that those aren't necessarily evidence-based, we're not seeing a great deal of assistance with those non-medicated treatments. Some other resources, the ADHD dude, Ryan Wexblatt. He is a really great resource. I'm going to say for all parents, but I think he targets fathers because I will say with children who have ADHD, fathers tend to to have a very different feeling on this. And many of the individuals I've treated go, you know, is this defiance or is this, you know, a brain-based disorder? And Ryan Wexblatt actually does an amazing job of working with men. And this is a free resource on YouTube, on Facebook, and he also has a website. So that's somewhere I would send you to. CHAD, C-H-A-D-D, is another great website. And it's everything ADHD, including symptoms, ways to go about having your child diagnosed, as well as treatment options. And they are on the forefront as well of being able to offer what's happening in the field this year versus you know, five years ago, which I think is wonderful. And then one other place that I would suggest that you look at is the American Psychological Association. They have a good amount of information on their website about what are the evidence-based treatments for ADHD. And then there are tons and tons of books out there. Go on to Amazon or go to your library and type in ADHD. There's great ones for parents and some of the parenting strategies that work better for kids with ADHD. I've got a wonderful one called the ADHD sibling challenge, which has been helpful since my one child does take more energy and time than the other one. We used a sibling book to kind of walk through and educate her on why that's the case. And then there's some great books on um, mindfulness and working with executive functioning skills for the kiddos that are dealing with ADHD. It's awesome. We're covering a lot here. And, you know, before we wrap up, I do want to talk a little bit about what do you think about discipline? Do you handle it any differently? A hundred percent. The discipline right now, I actually don't use discipline as the word anymore. I use positive parenting. I know that sounds like semantics. The words we use and the attitude we have is reflected in our behaviors. So what I have learned is using the affirmative rather than don't do that. I need you to pick up your clothes and put them into the hamper. So it really is shifting to the thing I want instead of the thing I don't want, which is great for all children, to be fair. But for ADHD kiddos, it's really important. I will say that I use a lot of strategies for allowing kids to change from one transition to another and being able to have some notice that we're moving from one activity, especially if it's a preferred activity, to something different. They do require that help and that assistance, whether that be a verbal reminder or on occasion, I will set our Alexa timer. You know, I'll tell them, hey, you have five more minutes on the computer. And I will let them hear me set that timer so that when the timer goes off, there isn't that power struggle because they've been given the notice and then the alarm goes off. It's actually a beautiful strategy if anybody has that or Google Voice in their house. Some things like giving my son the opportunity to reset. You know, if he has an explosive meltdown or a reaction that's out of proportion to what the situation is. I will very calmly say, you know, that sounds like you're having a hard time, but that isn't really an appropriate response to this. Would you like to do a reset? And that gives him the opportunity to do it over. 
And it's a great strategy to teach him moving forward into his teenage years that that is something that he can do and he can even advocate for and ask for in other settings. So that's one that I really, really like. And then I'll say consistent parenting in general. Kids need structure. Kids need to know that their parents are going to respond consistently in the same way. And even though some of these kiddos ask the same question 12, 13, 15 times, they need to hear that same response each time. And that really does help with reducing some of the negative behaviors that come with ADHD. So those are some things that I have put in the place of discipline. There are a lot of strategies out there. Positive Parenting Solutions is a a great one. and, And there are several other places for parents to kind of learn some of these strategies. But I will say it's super important to change your mindset instead of seeing it as discipline, seeing it as giving them skills to, you know, move forward with ADHD. And I think, you know, we have so much information to cover. I'd love to bring you back for part two, you know, and I I think you've raised so many great points today, Angela. Well, thank you. I appreciate it. And I know that I could talk for hours and hours, but our time here is (laughs) I think in closing, as long as you have availability of time for this, I just want you to know anybody listening to this podcast, there are a ton of resources out there. It can get more confusing at first. I'm going to warn parents of that because, you know, as many clinicians and as many scientists out there, you're going to have almost that many opinions and points of view. And the one thing I tell all the parents I work with and all the clients I work with is you have to listen to your intuition. There are times that you're going to go to a clinician or you're going to go to a pediatrician and they're going to say, no, I I really think your, your son or your daughter has anxiety and not ADHD. And you don't feel that that's covering everything there. Not everyone in any of these medical fields has all the knowledge, you know, really they're doing their best. So you have to follow your intuition and really advocate for your child to continue looking for that provider that is going to give you the answers that maybe are more appropriate for you. And the same goes for treatment. Just like I said, you know, it's not appropriate for teachers to say medication needs to occur here. Any practitioner will never tell you if they're being ethical, they'll never tell you you have to medicate your child. Medication is an option. It is one of the most science-based treatments and safest treatments. It has been studied for almost 100 years. However, there are other options and almost exclusively of the hyperactivity impulsivity type, most parents would like to try more natural strategies. And there are plenty of them out there lined up in Attitude Magazine, Chad, some of the other resources I've given you. So you have the opportunity to advocate for your child and what's right for you and your family. And I'll always encourage the client to do that. Yes. You know what I'm finding, and I know we're going to wrap up and definitely in this part two, I think we definitely need to do it, Jackie. The parents are now realizing, wait a minute, I think I'm, you know, it was never diagnosed, especially the moms, the females are recognizing like, wait a minute, these are things I struggled with, I remember as a child. And these are the things I continue to struggle. I've had several who've come and we said, well, let's get you assessed and see. And they are so like excited once they figure that piece out and then medication or whatever they decide to do, just life gets a little bit easier for them. And I think it just makes things better all the way around. But I'm seeing a lot more of that as well. Yep, I am as well. And I think that it's very empowering to the parents and gives them kind of some puzzle pieces 
to kind of put back into place to make more sense of of what their kids are going through as well. I think that it allows a lot more empathy. But I'm also seeing a lot of parents who are struggling with that because they're like, why couldn't I have been diagnosed as a child? This would have made such a difference in my life. Yes, absolutely. Well, we are to our three questions and you can answer one, two, or all three. It's your choice. Question number one, tell us one of your funny parenting stories. Now, this could be from your own childhood. This could be from you as a parent. Number two, what TV family or movie would you want to be a part of and why? And number three, what does successful parenting mean to you? One, two, or all three, it's your choice. What do you think? I will probably answer two and three just um, because of time. Number two, I would love to be part of the family of the movie Yes Day. I think that that was a fabulous presentation of parents thinking outside the box and, and teaching their kids a lot of wonderful lessons about Once again, flexibility and being able to see things from a different perspective, I would choose to be part of number two. (laughs) Number three, as far as parenting advice, I love the quote by Maya Angelou, which is do your best. And when you know better, do better. As many books as there are on parenting, none of them covers exactly what any of us need. Um, We really have to go to a lot of different sources. So when I say there isn't a parent manual, I mean that. And we learn through trial and error, just like we did as a child. This is just a whole new chapter. And I just love the idea of the learning is never done. So just, you know, similar to what we've talked about today with ADHD and parenting, we don't know if it hasn't been introduced into your life, you don't know. So you do need to go out and learn and and we are all capable of that. And we are better individuals and our families are better when we take the opportunity to, to go out and learn how to do better. Thank you so much, Angela. Absolutely. It's been a pleasure. Thank you for having me on. Always a pleasure, Angela. Thank you. And we'll have to schedule uh, another one because I do, I have so many more questions and I didn't want to ask. I knew we were running out of time. So as always, so helpful, excited to kind of continue to follow your journey and your work and you're doing so many great things. So thank you so much for taking the time to come on today. Absolutely. And thank you for putting this podcast together. I know it's helping. Thank you. Thank you. Well, listeners, we will have a lot of those resources that Angela provided today in our description. Bye, everyone. Bye. Have a great day. Bye-bye, Jackie. Bye. Thank you for joining us. And make sure to subscribe and like us to catch our next episode, where we will take you on a journey to find new ways of successful parenting.